With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's a blowout. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the real He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into a live episode of Flippin' Bats. Let's have an absolute blast today. Every Thursday episode, we record it live. If you want to watch, great. If not, just listen to it later, whatever it may be. But this will be a lot of fun. We got a lot to catch you up on from around the league for sure. And then with every Thursday, we will get to my team of the week, which has been a blast. Picking a position from every every position around the field, the top player of the week. That's been a lot of fun to do. And I think we might have producer Conrad, correct me if I'm wrong here, we might have some trivia today. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, we got some trivia for the oh, first time boy. ever today. Oh, boy. I can't wait to get to that. But today is Thursday. I'm wearing my shirt that says Shur's Day. I don't know if you get it, but it's like a rhyme, a play on words. And that's just where we're going to start with some league updates. We're going to talk about the Mets, and we are going to talk about some big Max Scherzer news that has come down uh, as of today, as we are recording this on Thursday. Big Max Scherzer news. Max a uh, little oblique issue that arose last night when he was pitching, pulled himself out of the game, said he felt a little twinge in his side, and uh, ended up pulling himself out of the game. And now he's going to miss some time. Reports say six to eight weeks Max Scherzer's going to miss. Can we talk about just him pulling himself out of the game, though? And just, I think everyone that's that knows baseball pretty well knows how big of a competitor Max Scherzer is. And I, when I saw that clip last night, I go, oh, man. He's going to be done for the year. Like, he looked over and he was just, I'm done. That's it. Pull me. Yeah. I've never seen that. Well, that's also a good thing. You know, Max is getting up there in age. And, and when that happens, you know your body. You know how you feel. We've seen him. We have seen him before. Um, not pitch in games. And I remember going back to the World Series in 20, uh, 2019 when he was having those back spasms and said he wasn't good enough to pitch. Like, he knows his body now. He is an absolute gamer. He will go out there, and it will take a lot to pull himself out of a game. It took a lot in 2019. And like you said, you knew when Max was the one that said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm done, that it was a big issue. So you hear that happen, and then you fear, oh, man, this is going to be a big deal. Then you hear him in the locker room post-game where he said, yeah, you know, I felt it. It was a little tight, and then I felt it pretty big time there. Uh, but I'm hopeful I pulled myself out before it got too bad, and, and hopefully it's not bad. And then it comes out today, six to eight weeks. Max Scherzer has a moderate to high-grade oblique strain, and he'll be missing six to eight weeks. Now, I, I do want to talk about that, because now you're talking about two aces, the co-aces of the New York Mets. Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer are going to be out until at least July, I think that's best-case scenario to have them both back by. Now, is it time to panic? Do the New York Mets, is it time to hit that panic button and say, oh, boy, 
Here we go again. It's been happening. The Mets are going to met. We're so used to this. I don't think so. I don't think it's time to panic. And today is a great example of that. You know what? Max Scherzer goes down. It's tough times in, in Queens for the Mets. And what happens? Well, Pete Alonso steps up and hits a walk-off homer in the 10th, down a run, and, and the Mets win the game. So here's why I say, if you're a Mets fan, don't panic. This team is different. Steve Cohen set this team up differently this year. They go out and they make a bunch of moves. You lose Jacob deGrom, well, then guess what? You have a Max Scherzer. You lose Max Scherzer, well, then guess what? You have Chris Bassett, who's very capable of leading a rotation. The injuries have piled up for this rotation, and it sucks. It absolutely sucks. But they have guys that are capable elsewhere that have been brought in that can pick up the slack. That's what it's about. That's what a winning team is about. You're going to lose players throughout a year. It's about having guys that can pick up the slack. And for the last few years with the New York Mets, they didn't have that. You have Pete Alonso not play well, this team's not going to do well. Yet you bring in Francisco Lindor and he's not playing well, well, guess what? Then the team's not going to do well. But now guess what? You have all these new players come in. You have Mark Canna. You have Eduardo Escobar. You have Starling Marte. You have Pete Alonso playing better. You have Jeff, Jeff McNeil, who's been fantastic this year. Francisco Lindor has been better. So it is not time for the Mets to hit the panic button. This is obviously a concern, and it sucks. And they're not going to be as good of a team without Max Scherzer. But the team that they do have is more than capable of winning games in the meantime. Thankfully, he's not going to miss the entire year. Thankfully, Jacob deGrom got good news, and he's ramping up his throwing and throwing harder. So it is not time to panic. But it does suck, man. Max is a gamer. He's a lot of fun to watch on the mound. He's an ace of a staff, and it, it stinks that he's going to be out, but I think they will be just fine. Yeah, and I mean, there, there is kind of like a bright side. I know if you're a Mets fan, it can seem kind of gloomy today, but you are still sitting in first place. You know, it's not like you're sitting in third or fourth place. You have all these injuries, and you're like, whoa, whoa is me. How are we going to right the ship? But I've already seen it kind of out there. I know for some people it's kind of like a funny thing to do, but if you get DeGrom and Scherzer back around the All-Star break, let's say, and they play the second half of the year, it's like they won the trade deadline. Yeah, you, you have two two bona fide superstars coming back as your one and two guys. And we haven't even talked about it, but McGill is out too. He's on the 15-day IL. So they have three of their top four starters out right now. And if they can find a way just to go 500 to get through this stretch, the Mets are still in a great position to win. They are. And you just start rattling off the names. It is such bad luck for them to be this beat up for their starters. I mean, three of those, they're all studs. We didn't expect Tyler McGill to be as good as he is this year, but he's been fantastic, and he's hurt. So, yeah, but let's look at this team without those guys, a team that is led in rotation by Chris Bassett and has Carrasco that can be good, and then in the lineup you have Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor and Starlin Marte, Eduardo Escobar. Um, that's a, those are some big names. Those are some studs in a lineup. So that team is already really good just without those two studs, those three studs in a rotation. And then you hear, okay, like, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that we could expect them back in July. And then you start talking about, wait, you have a first-place team right now that's already really good that is down their aces of a staff, but you're expecting to get them back in, in July? 
You're right. That's like, okay, who's going to win that? Who's going to win that trade deadline? We talked about it last year. The Dodgers got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Okay, the Mets this year, right around that time, could be getting Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. That's comical. Adding them to an already really good team. So I don't think it's time to panic. I think it's time. I've said this with the Dodgers or with the Padres this year. Without Tatis, you just have to tread water. You just have to be a decent baseball team in the meantime, and then you'll take off. Now the Mets are in that position. They're good enough to do it. You just have to tread water. You have a, you have a decent-sized lead in the division. Tread water. Don't go on this abysmal run, which I don't think they're capable of with the team that they have right now. Tread water. Those guys come back, and who knows? The sky's the limit for the New York Mets. I truly believe that. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of Mets fans, not upset, but when you have $35 million tied into Lindor, you have like $43 million tied into Scherzer, and you're getting not great production out of Lindor right now. You have $75 million tied up between two guys, one not playing now, and one who's just a little bit above average. Yeah, it's chump change for it, Steve Cohen. It, it, it can be tough. It can be tough, but let's move on to the next topic, to a guy who is going to be getting a whole lot of chump change someday. That is true. Juan Soto of the... Currently, Washington Nationals, some news came out over the course of the last few days from Buster Olney saying there are some rival executives around the league that believe there is a chance Juan Soto is traded. Traded. One of the best hitters certainly in the game right now, and we'll, we'll dive a little deeper into that in a second, but I was mind blown by this. And it's not to say it's going to happen, but there are some execs around the league that believe he's going to be shopped. And it really got me to thinking, like, what's it going to take? What's a trade package going to look like for Juan Soto? Are you kidding me? And two teams that I've heard, uh, their name tossed around, the Padres and the Blue Jays are teams that would be interested. And you hear interested, but like, who wouldn't be interested in Juan Soto, you know? But those are two teams that I've heard will maybe even make a push. So this tweet was great. All right, after seeing Juan Soto trade rumors on Twitter, just hear me out for a second. Okay, just for a quick second. Soto to the Jays? <laughs> so what's a, what's a trade like that going to look like? And it got me to thinking. And I, I used the Blue Jays and the Padres for reference here. The Blue Jays have a couple of top prospects in baseball, in Jordan Groshans and Gabriel Moreno. I think it's going to take both of those guys in a package and probably a guy at the big league level already. Top two prospects, a big league talent already. I, I, it, I just struggle to wrap my mind around what it could possibly be. If you're looking at the Padres, Mackenzie Gore, who's already shown to be a big league caliber player, um, C.J. Abrams, who's a top prospect at shortstop, I think that could be a good fit, actually, because you have Fernando Tatis wrapped up there at shortstop for a long time to come, and then you have a top prospect at shortstop. The more I think about it, the more the Padres make sense. What are you going to do with a top prospect shortstop when you have Fernando Tatis? Are you going to move Tatis long-term elsewhere because of his shoulder issues? Maybe. Are you going to trade Abrams to get Juan Soto? Maybe. So... I don't know. It, it really is going to take a lot. It, it, it made me look back into history and, and look at some of the old trades that have gone down along this caliber of a trade. And one thing that really jumped out to me is there's really not. 
Juan Soto is 22 years old, and he's already largely considered to be the best hitter in the game of baseball. Now we're talking about a possible trade for a guy that's not even close to being in his prime? I mean, I look back at some of the major trades that we have seen, one of them being fairly recent, Mookie Betts. An MVP gets traded from the Red Sox to the Dodgers, and let's look at who was a part of that trade. Alex Verdugo, big league talent, plays in the Red Sox outfield right now. Jeter Downs, top prospect right now. Connor Wong, another prospect. So these, this is a trade where this is a this is probably the closest comparable thing that we have seen. Um, so we don't really know what those prospects are going to turn out like. That's the problem. Let's go back a little bit. CC Sabathia traded to the Brewers from at the time the Indians. They get Matt Laporta, Zach Jackson, Rob Bryson, and Michael Brantley. So that one turned out okay. Michael Brantley has been a really good player in the league for a while. Another one that jumped out, Alex Rodriguez. Obviously, uh, one, of the, one of the best players of all time. Uh, this could be a different-looking trade. They traded straight up Alfonso Soriano. Soriano goes to the Rangers and then A-Rod to the Yankees. So maybe, maybe that's an option, like a big league all-star for one of the teams, straight up for Juan Soto? I don't know. What, what does that look like? If you're the Blue Jays, producer Conrad, what, what does that look like? Is that like a, a George Springer for Juan Soto? Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't think that any of us can really comprehend what would happen to get Juan Soto. Because we've never seen this. We've, we've never seen it. We've never seen it happen at such a young age. You know, I mean, it, I guess the equivalent would have been if Bryce Harper would have been traded his last year before in, in Washington, you know. But there's the other side of this, too, is that you talk about the Padres, you talk about the Blue Jays. How in the world can you afford to have two, three hundred million dollar guys on each one of those rosters? I don't know. But when I figure it out, I will be sure to let you know how I well, I mean. Juan Soto is going to get minimum $350 million. Juan Soto could get half a billion dollars, no, he, and he it's really not could, crazy though. to say that. But he absolutely could. That's, I guess that's to me is what I'm trying to think of what would be a comparable package because it doesn't matter what you get back. You're not going to get back right, what right, you gave up. Right. So there's a few factors at play here. Like Soto is due to make, make his money pretty soon. So you trade for Juan Soto, you're going to give up your top prospects, and probably a big league already producing talent. So you're giving those guys up, and then you're not going to give those guys up without locking him up long-term. So not only are you going to have to give up multiple top prospects, deplete your system, as well as a big league talent, you're also going to have to pay him close to half a billion dollars. It is wild what's happening. And I, I truly believe that if it if it's if anybody's worth it, it's it's Juan Soto. Yeah, I mean, and I think that we look back at the Dodgers trade yesterday or last year for Serger and uh, Turner. The Dodgers already won a championship in the last five years. So for them, they can push all their chips in. We already have one in the back pocket. Let's move all in and try to make another yeah. championship run happen. If you haven't won a championship yet, a la Toronto or the Padres, it's really hard to go all in if you haven't won anything yet. Right, absolutely. First off, I'm really glad you got Scherzer right there because we were talking we were talking pre-taping of this and you were really struggling saying Max Scherzer, but you nailed it when it mattered, my friend. And 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 you're right. You know, like do you do you deplete a system? It, like 
It, it is mind-blowing, and it's, it's tough to think about, and I'm glad this came out because it at, least, it at least allowed us to talk about it. What do you do if you're a team? Do you deplete the system and give all this money up for a guy like Juan Soto who could potentially be the best hitter in the game and one of the best of all time, which is what I wanted to get to now, is, is, is Juan Soto. Like, we're talking a lot about what it would take to give him up. Let's talk about how good he really is. Let's talk about how he could be Yes, the best hitter in the game right now, and he could be one of the best hitters that this game has ever seen. Let's look at this. Here's a list of the players since 1901 to have more than 1,000 plate appearances on the road and an OPS over 1,000 in those road games. Babe Ruth, heard of him. Lou Gehrig, heard of him. Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, Joe DiMaggio, Juan Soto. <laughs> I mean, that is, you, you hear it all the time. That's pretty elite company. That's the best of the best company that you could ever be in, those names. And Juan Soto has already put himself in that, in that hemisphere, in, in that conversation. It's remarkable. At 23 years and 169 days, Soto is just the seventh active player to hit 100 homers at age 23 and younger. I think that he's 22. 22 and 169 days. The other names, Miguel Cabrera, Ronald Acuna Jr., Albert Pujols, Giancarlo Stanton, and Mike Trout. Uh, I mean, it truly is. This is what we are seeing right now from Juan Soto, who is 22 years old, is that he is putting himself already in all-time conversations. Look at this comparison with Mike Trout, who I have on my Mount Rushmore of baseball players. When all is said and done, Mike Trout is for sure going to be on the Mount Rushmore of baseball. Let's compare the two. Through 2,123 plate appearances, okay? Trout was at 2,189. So virtually the same amount of plate appearances. Homers, Juan Soto, 104 to Trout's 98. RBIs, Soto has the lead. Walks, Soto has uh, over 130 more walks. That's a vital part of this guy's success. Strikeouts, far less. Average, Trout's slightly higher. I mean, this is talking about an all-time great in Mike Trout, one of the greatest to ever do it. So we start hearing that a trade is possible with, with Juan Soto, and it's easy to lose sight of how young he is. Juan Soto has been making a making a difference in the game of baseball for a long time already, it feels like. He's already won a World Series. If if you were to think about it, like you'd probably guess Juan Soto's around 25, 26 years old. He's 22 years old, and he's already in conversations with Ted Williams. Juan Soto and Ted Williams are the only players in the modern era with 100-plus homers, 400-plus walks, and 500-plus hits in their first 500 games. Him and Ted Williams, the splendid splinter, who many consider to be the greatest hitter of all time. Of all time. And Soto has done it at an age of 23 years and 169 days. That's remarkable. And that's why we're here talking about this. Because, yes, he's a big name on the trade block, but yes, he could arguably go down as the biggest name, the best player ever traded. And that's not far-fetched to say by any means.
No, it's it's absolutely not. And uh, it's one of those things where wherever he does end up, obviously, he's going to go to an instant contender because he's that good of a player. But this is kind of unprecedented territory that I think a lot of sports fans are starting to get kind of used to, especially from smaller markets. We've talked about this as being a major problem with baseball at times, is that the smaller markets, they get these really good guys, they grow them, they get to use them, pay them not a ton of money for four or five, six years. And then as soon as they have to get paid, they're like, See you later. Uh, we'll just get some prospects back and we'll start this whole entire thing over again. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I keep looking and seeing stats and it's just, it's it, it truly is remarkable. Now, I wouldn't even consider Juan Soto like a known power hitter. I just think he's like the pure best hitter in the game. But, but look at this stat. He's the eighth youngest at the time of his 100th home run. He's 23 years and 169 days. Mel Ott did it at tw- younger. Tony Canigliero, Eddie Matthews, Alex Rodriguez, Andrew Jones, Miguel Cabrera, and Johnny Bench. <laughs> like those are the only guys to do it younger. Soto's also the youngest player in Nats slash Expos history to hit his 100th career homer. It's it's incredible. It really is, and and that's why this is such a big deal. And that's why I wanted to take a good bit of time to one talk about what it would take to trade for him, and two, why it would take that much. And and it's it's special. He's a special player. He absolutely is. And something else that is extremely special is the Savannah Bananas. I know, <laughs> a I know that this is a transition you did not see coming. But we have to talk a little bit about the Savannah Bananas. Uh, we have Jesse Cole about to join the show here in a minute. But kind of set the scene a little bit and tell people out there who might not know about the Savannah Bananas. Well, the Savannah Bananas are making baseball fun extremely fun and if if you haven't seen the clips they are a team in savannah they wear bright yellow uniforms and and let's let's talk to the man himself jesse cole he is on to talk some savannah bananas baseball he's rocking the outfit jesse thank you so much for joining me my friend i really do appreciate it oh excited to have some fun my friend yeah let's do that and and first off let me ask you, if, if I were to say, what are the Savannah Bananas? Because I, I, you know, I've heard collegiate summer team, and then it looks like it's transitioned to almost like a sort of Harlem Globetrotters type of feel. Is that accurate? What are the Savannah Bananas? So the, the Bananas started as a collegiate summer league team, just like many of them, but we realized we had an opportunity to make the game more fun and do things differently. So even when we first started in 2016 in Savannah, we had a break dancing coach. We had a senior citizen <laughs> dance team called the Banana Nanas, a male cheerleading team, a banana pep band. We played in kilts. So we were just having fun from the get-go, playing nine-inning regular traditional baseball. But as we started to, fortunately, going from, you know, when I first started in Savannah, we had sold a handful of tickets, and my wife and I had to sell our house, empty our savings account. We were sleeping on an airbed. To all that struggle, to wow. selling out every game, then we realized fans were still leaving games early. So we started experimenting with a brand new game uh, of banana ball that we play now and do the tour all over the country. And that is definitely the future of the bananas. That is that is incredible. So how did you get to the point? So you're playing actual games that matter in collegiate summer ball, and then you start doing these things, and it really takes off and it becomes fun. Like, was, was there a, a sort of mesh point where players that would come in and play the Savannah Bananas were like, oh, great, here we go. We're going to play these guys. Or, or was, it, was it weird at first when you started transitioning, transitioning to this really fun stuff that you're doing? 
Yeah, I mean, our players were always doing choreographed dances. I mean, there was always some things that look crazy, but when we made the transition to banana ball, where if you know fans catch a foul ball, it's an out, and you can steal first, and there's no bunting, and you know all the crazy rules, uh, it was definitely a transition. But I think the guys found out like, hey, this is more fun. It's a two-hour timed game. So they get to play a two-hour time gaming that he's fully into it. So now we found the right guys. And obviously, Eric Burns is our manager and Jake Peavy joining us and Johnny Gomes and Bill, the spaceman Lee. So a lot of these former major leaguers are saying, hey, we got to be a part of this. I, so I want to get to some of the other promotions and stuff you do in a second. But you mentioned Jake Peavy, who recently there was a clip that he pitched for you guys. And he wore his actual gold glove when he pitched for you guys. Did did you know that that was going to happen, or did he just take the field saying, hey, I'm here, I know what this place is all about, I'm going to wear my actual gold glove? Usually I know most things that we're going to do, but that one, just like also when the guy came up with a bat on fire and a guy went blindfolded, <laughs> I don't know everything that happens. Jake comes before the game and goes, just like I brought my gold glove. I go, oh, that's pretty awesome. He goes, yeah, I'm going to pitch in it. I go, really? He goes, why not? And so, yeah, that's that's just Jake trying to be a part of the show. And same thing with Eric Burns pitch hitting himself in the middle of a game, coming from the third base box and then putting himself in to hit. And Johnny Gomes hitting with his World Series rings. The guys just want to be a part of the fun that joined it. And it's it's pretty cool to watch. Do you have a favorite thing that has happened this far that um, that sticks out to you? Because, you know, the ones that I think have gone the most viral, uh, guy hitting on stilts, and then all the dances that are happening. Do you have something that's happened over the last couple of years that is your absolute favorite? Oh, geez, it's a good question. Because every night we want to do five to ten things that had never happened before in a baseball field. Oh, my god! And so, you know, we have Matt Wolf's a trick pitcher that his dad was literally in the circus and rodeo clown. He can throw pitches on headstands and underneath for strikes. I mean, he does things on the field every night. I'm like, how did you just make that pitch for a strike? It's unbelievable. So he wows me. But, you know, Billy coming out of the crowd, chugging a beer, then getting a strikeout. I mean, things like, did that really just happen in a game? Um, but, yeah, I mean, we have one guy uh, literally can do a split. He came up to bat. Our director of entertainment who played baseball comes out of bat and does a full split on home plate, like literally all I, <laughs> the smallest strikes I've ever seen. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think every night something wows me, and I think that's the goal, and that's why we've been fortunate to sell out every game and fans are coming to see what we'll do next. Do you have, like, a team – you say every night you want to do five things that have never been seen before on a baseball field. Is there a team of people that are specifically thinking about that, or is it sort of if anybody ever has an idea, throw it to us and let's do it? Yes, we have a team. And every uh, Monday, every week, we get together, have our OTT meeting. We talk about what are the over-the-top ideas we're going to do. And, you know, that's where the three two twos, which people have seen the videos on TikTok that have got 50 million views. Plus, those are when the third inning, the second batter, the second pitch, our pitcher, shortstop, second baseman, and center fielder do a choreographed dance and then throw a pitch. <laughs> and we have to come up with a new dance, a new trend, a new TikTok every single game to do it. And we uh, share a lot of videos throughout the week to say, could they actually do this? And the guys say, let's do it. And they figured it out and it's been a lot of fun. What would you say is the secret? You've, you've sold out over 150. You've sold out so many games. It seems like every game you're selling, it, you're selling out. What is the secret behind it? What is, what is the goal there? How do you do it? It's awesome. Well, thank you. I mean, obviously developing a social media following now over 3 million and 2.5 million on Twitter or on, on TikTok with which is 1.8 million more than any major league baseball team. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think the reality is just like I said, 
How every night can we do something no one's ever seen before? How can, I mean, we plan scoring celebrations. When the team scores their first run, the whole team runs through the crowd, high-fiving the fans, everybody. It doesn't make any sense, but like it breaks down the barriers. What Major League Baseball is, is always the way it used to be, you know, the unwritten rules. We break down the barriers. Our players are in the crowd every night. They're celebrating, they're dancing, they're having fun. So I think the fans are like, I haven't seen this anywhere else. I got to see more of it. I, I know you guys have started to, to flirt with the travel and going to different areas. Is there a more wide-scale goal than that? Do you, do you see a future in which, hey, I'm out in L.A., maybe there's games out here, maybe it could be a worldwide at some, at some point. In your wildest dreams, when you think from where you started, selling a house and all that stuff, to where you think this could be, could there be a world traveling act at some point? 1000%. You know, you're talking to a guy who's read every book by P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney and, <laughs> and learned to think big. And it's kind of fun to do the impossible. And I'll tell you, uh, next year, we just, we're going to be in 20 to 25 cities. In the last two weeks, we've been called by four major league teams asking us, can we play at their stadium next year? And wow. so I think we have big goals. We might rent out a cruise ship and do a bananas cruise and stop at different countries, different islands. I mean, we got some big ideas, big vision, and uh, we're going to pursue it pretty hard. That's awesome. Well, I would love to be a part of it at some point. I played for five years professionally. I don't know how I can be involved, but um, this right here is is perfect. This show is all about having fun and making baseball fun, and uh, you guys certainly do that. So whatever way we can collaborate and do something, whether it be me playing and whatever it may be, I would love to be a part of it. But thank you so much for coming on, man. This has truly been a blast. I love watching you, and I mean this sincerely. Thank you for what you do for the game of baseball. Thank you so much. And you know we're going to have you come out for us one of these days and have some fun. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Thank you again, my friend. I really appreciate it. Savannah Banana's future, it's, it's, it's coming. Some, something's coming in the future. I, I lost my mind when he said the Savannah Nanas. <laughs> Just the grandmas that do like choreographed dances. I, I lost it. I heard you. That is that is unbelievable. Like I, that was I think that might have been one of my favorite interviews that we've ever done on this show. Like that guy was like the epitome of like fun and like over the top. Like I see that guy and I'm like, you know what? I would want to go play for the Savannah Bananas. Like that just seems like so much fun. That's, that's all that's all part of it. And I didn't know he was gonna show up in a banana costume, but I don't think it was a banana costume. I think it was just all yellow. In suit. my mind, it's a banana. Anything that's all yellow is a banana. <laughs> but that was that that really was a lot of fun and i would hope to i i want to be a, a part of it at some point where where, where well, or, just just real quick like the thing that he said to me too that stood out the most and i don't know if it stood out the most to you but they have more tiktok followers than any major league baseball team out there yeah you, you know that's what when this show started it was about showcasing the fun side of baseball showing guys with energy, showing guys that are playing with passion and flipping their bats. And that's what baseball needs. That's what it's all about. And then you hear that there's a team that all they do is have fun and they do these fun experiments and they take risks and they do these dances and they, they you know, participate in things with the crowd. They involve the crowd. And obviously Major League Baseball will never get to that point. But there's something to be said about that team has more TikTok followers than any other Major League Baseball team. There's something to be said about that. And that's why we have, we have this show. That's why I want to showcase that side of baseball because it's clearly so important. It's clearly the future to the game. And it's clearly the key to building the game of baseball. 
and they do an incredible job of it. It is a lot of fun to watch, and certainly some of those things will never happen on a Major League Baseball field, nor should they. Imagine Mike Trout popping up in the stands and somebody catching it and being like, ha-ha, you're out. Like, that's never going to happen. But the fun aspect, that could happen. A lot of those things could happen, and I hope it does. I think the biggest thing, too, is just, I mean, when you're a kid, you watch sports, you fall in love with it, you remember where you were when you fell in love with the game that you love for the first time, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, whatever it might be. And you take a kid to a game like that, or like to go to the Harlem Globetrotters, and instantly it captivates you in so many more ways than just a game. Yep. There's just a whole spectacular show going along with it, and yeah, that was super cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was I mean, great. That, that's great what they have going on down there. But someone else that's changing the game of baseball. Let's talk about Otani from yesterday. Shohei Otani uh, pitched, pitched again yesterday. And just another good outing. A solid outing. Six innings, two runs, seven strikeouts. Um, it, let's really talk about this. Because you hear a game where he goes 0 for 5 at the plate has six innings, and, you know, just because he doesn't flirt with a no-hitter doesn't mean it wasn't special. You know, that's more than you could ask for from any from any starting pitcher. You hear he goes out and throws six innings, punches out seven guys, and gives up two runs. That's great. He's also going out there and getting five at-bats at the plate and hitting right in the middle of that lineup and expected to carry a lineup along with the other, you know, along with Mike Trout and, and Taylor Ward this year. But he's expected to carry a lineup, and he's going out there and putting together good quality starts. I mean, he's getting better and better on the mound. Let's look at last year. Let's, let's compare some things from last year to this year, where I think he really took a step forward last year on the mound. This year, his four-seamer has taken a step up. His average velocity last year was 956 his average velocity this year is 97.2. 97.2. I have talked to a lot of pitchers. I have been around the game for a long time. And many pitchers will tell you, after Tommy John surgery, it takes three years for your velocity to fully get back. Look what we're seeing with Shohei. That's a big jump in average velocity from last year. A mile and a half, mile an hour more. His whiff rate last year, 20.8%. This year, 25.8%. And this, for me, uh, the huge thing for him this year has been his command. Last year, his four-seamer in the zone percentage, 55%. This year, 10% higher, 65.1% in the zone. That's last year to this year. His outing on the mound was just another, another start that just shows how good he truly is. He is a Cy Young caliber pitcher on the mound. He was throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs, 90-mile-an-hour cutters. That start, including his start yesterday, now puts him at 3-2 and two on the year, a 2.82 ERA, 53 strikeouts, and a 1.02 whip. That's on the year. He pitched against the Rangers yesterday, which were the team that roughed him up a little bit early in the year. They had that grand slam off of him early, and he didn't have great stats. The fact that his numbers and stats are still where they are at this point because of that start shows you just how remarkable he has been since that. In his last five starts, he's 3-0 and 
with a 1.5 ERA and 39 strikeouts in 30 innings pitched. That's why this is special. All while he's going out there and, and expected to be a big piece for that lineup. One of the main pieces for that lineup. This isn't, I, I say this all the time, but it begs mentioning every single time. This isn't a gimmick. This isn't a guy with a lot of power that can also pitch. Or a guy that is a good pitcher that can, that can also hit for a lot of power. This is a good hitter and a Cy Young caliber pitcher. That's what we are seeing. And we're seeing it every five, six nights when he goes out and pitches on the mound. That's why I've started tweeting. Every, I tweet my good luck photo. It's, it's special, man. It, it really is cool what we are seeing. And he's getting better and better and better on the mound. And we've seen it with his swing. He's made the adjustment at the plate. He's starting to hit those balls oppo. He's doing it all, and he's doing a lot better. Shohei Otani is special. And I will talk about it every single time. Because you know what? If a pitcher goes out there and throws six innings and gives up two runs and strikes out seven, we're saying, wow. Really good outing. Really good outing. But because Shohei Otani didn't hit two home runs and flirt with a no-hitter, it's like, ah, not his best. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't his best. But it was really special, and that's why he should be talked about all the time because of what he's doing. I mean, he's so special. He broke Google. He did break Google. That's a good point. Google tweeted this. I'm sure you guys have all heard of it. You've heard of Google. The Google. They tweeted the other day that Shohei Otani is the most searched pitcher in history baseball has had a number of great pitchers in the sports history but none is more searched than Shohei Otani what you didn't see and what I haven't mentioned that is they replied to that tweet saying thanks to Ben Verlander for 75 percent of those searches that's, that's that's probably pretty accurate. I know one thing they always tell you not to do is to go through the comments of anything that you work on or whatever, whether it's Twitter, YouTube, whatever. But you go through the comments and you see people that every every time we post something on Otani, they go, I'm coming from so-and-so country. I don't even we don't even have baseball. We don't even watch baseball. But because of Shohei Otani, I am now watching baseball on a daily basis. Yeah. You, you know, the comments section on any social media it never fails. It's always a, a toxic environment and mixed with good comments and bad. Um, I've been talking about Shohei for over two years now. Since he, since he, I was watching him pitch in Japan. I've been in fa- I've been fascinated by him since then. And then I got a platform where I could talk about him as much as I believe he deserves. And what's cool about it when I do that is the comments are always positive, and it's always. Like, anywhere from, wow, thank you for doing this, this is awesome, to, I've gotten into baseball again because of Shohei Otani. So yeah, we hear all the accolades, we hear he's the most searched pitcher of all time. What does that mean, though? It means he's changing the game. It means what he is doing for the game of baseball is light years beyond what's happening on the field. I hear people every day saying, Shohei has brought me back to baseball. I haven't been watching. I have never watched, but I'm watching because of what he means, what he means to the game. I realize in the moment when anybody's compared with Babe Ruth that I should probably pay attention. And it's special. And it's cool to see the comments 
and to see how much and how many people care. I mean, how often do we see guys go on the road to Yankee Stadium? We saw it last year. And Shohei gets cheered by Yankee fans in Yankee Stadium. That's what he means to the game. He brings together everybody, and and that's hard to come by in this day and age. Yeah, I, I we've talked a lot of times about it. I mean, you're so you're such a baseball fan through and through. And for me, I've always been a seasonal fan of whatever is in in like in season. I'm I'm a fan of the NFL. I'm a fan of Major League Baseball. I'm a fan of the NBA, college basketball, college football, whatever it is. Big sports guy. Big sports guy over here. But when you see guys like Shohei Otani come along, like you, it's really hard to find other athletes that have this kind of like transcendent effect. Yeah. Where he literally is going to be setting up the next generation. I mean, you talk about a Steph Curry. And in base, I mean, in basketball, you talk about someone like in football, whether it's like a smaller Russell Wilson or a Drew Brees, where it's like you don't have to be this mountain of a man to play this sport. Shohei Otani is showing that if you put determination and will into something you love, the sky is the limit. I mean, obviously, he has the physical capabilities, but it's unbelievable what this guy does. You're right. And, and you know, on top of that, he is this mountain of a man. He's gigantic. He's very tall. He's big he has he, he hits for so much power I mean he is a big guy and you know you start talking about other sports and I don't think they're like I, I think it's fair to say that a good comparison would be in the NBA and what LeBron means to the NBA he transformed he had all the hype coming up and what he's done on the field has been special what he's done off the field or off the court has been special what he's done for the community in Cleveland what he does for younger basketball players, younger generations. Shohei's doing all of that. He's bringing new eyes to the game. He's allowing younger kids, younger baseball players to believe that, you know what, I can be a two-way player. What he does is special, and he's changing the game of baseball, and uh, I will forever be appreciative of him for that, for doing it uh, in the way that he does it, being the most kind and modest and humble and funny guys. I mean, this is what the game needed. The game needed a guy like Shohei Otani to come and bring everybody together and do it all with a smile on his face. And it's it's pretty cool. It's it's extremely cool. I've never seen anything like it in baseball. Uh, and that, that's what makes it so great, is that we're hoping the next generation becomes just as big of baseball fans as yep. it was when people looked at it like America's pastime. I agree. And uh, on that note, let's switch over to something new. You ready for some trivia? <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready, but let's do it. Let's have some fun. Listen, this this first week, I'm going to let a little bit easy on you, all right? I'm oh, not, God. I'm not, I'm not going to get too wild on you, but okay. I do have five trivia questions all for right, you. All right, let's do it. Some let's, trivia. Yeah, let's see if you can get them. All right, Christian Yelich had a cycle last week, right? He did. Is that my trivia question? Well, there's two other players currently Dang it. <laughs> in, in Major League Baseball. True. <laughs> there's two other players in Major League Baseball right now that have multiple cycles. Who are those players? Multiple cycles. Um... Trey Turner has had multiple. All right, you got one right. <sighs> Who else has had multiple? Um, Lindor? Has Lindor had multiple? Uh. Oh, really? You're going to be the own buzzer, too? This first week, we don't have our buzzer yet, so producer Conrad's going to be our buzzer. It could have been a lot Great. more obnoxious. Um, I, don't, I don't know who has the other one. I know Ooh. Trey Turner. Well, you know Trey Turner because of our graphics guy. Came out and blew up. No, that I one. knew Trey Turner. I knew. Don't give me that. I knew Trey. <laughs> no, the other one, Freddie Freeman. Both of them on the Dodgers. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. that's right. That's right. And 
when you think cycle, Freddie Freeman doesn't immediately come. I knew he had the one. I, I forget about the other one. You don't think Freddie gets too many triples, but hey. Well, that's that's why I thought it was a good trivia question. Something you might not think of. All right, so I'm 50, I'm at a, sitting at a C right now. I'll give myself a C. All right, I'm giving you an F. That's 0 for 1. All right, next one. Which franchise has been no hit the fewest times in baseball history? Ooh, these are easy? Wait, wait, these are easy questions you're giving me? Which franchise has been no hit the fewest amount of times? Um, I'm going to go with... Okay, let me put some thought into this. The Yankees have been around for a really long time, so I'm not going to guess the Yankees. I'm going to guess a team that hasn't been around as much. I'm going to guess... I'm gonna, I'm going to guess the Diamondbacks. Oh, that's a good guess, but wrong. <laughs> the Kansas City Royals, shout out Bartlett. Wow. Least hit team. I no lo- hit team. For those listening, like the, these are not easy questions. I hope you're guessing along with me and think, wow, they said these are easy. Next week's going to be what player back in 1912 had a 3-2 <laughs> count at the plate and happened to hit a single through the other side. All right, this might get a little bit easier for you now. All right, who is the current leader in batting average in Major League Baseball? Current leader in batting average. Okay. Whoo! Leader in batting average. Manny Machado. Hit him. It's wrong. What? Come on, man. Taylor Ward. I thought I thought it was going to be close between the two of those guys. Taylor Ward's hitting what? 379? 375. Oh, no, the buzzer. <laughs> 370 what? 375. 375. Okay. All right. All right. So I've missed a few. I'm still going to give myself I'll C minus now. All right. Cuz I'm right. bringing humor as well. That's that's, you know. <laughs> that that's worth something. <laughs> all right. Which pitcher has the most strikeouts in MLB right now? Dylan Cease. Ooh. All right. Give him the good buzzer. Do we have a good Woo! buzzer for him? Oh, no good buzzer, we just, just bad buzzers. Just, we just prepared the bad buzzer for Ben today and Trivia. Great. This is going swimmingly. All right. Last but not least, who is the current leader in stolen bases in MLB? Hmm. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go... Is it Jazz Chisholm? Wrong. Julio Rodriguez. J-Rod the Show. The J-Rod Show with 11. Okay. All right, first week of trivia. Here's my here's my response to that. Um, it's fun. <laughs> we need a correct buzzer. <laughs> we need a correct buzzer, and um, I will only continue to get better. So B minus for my first week of trivia. Congrats to me. I got Trey Turner correct. I got Dylan Cease correct. I got a lot of I I. Yep. You did it. You did it. Yep, you did trivia. <laughs> and I did it. I, I completed it. <laughs> you did. All right, this was fun. I like it. Let's uh, let's move on to your weekend series to watch before we get to your team of the week. All right, weekend series to watch. I got three good ones for you. First up, White Sox at the Yankees. The Yankees are playing like the best team in baseball right now, um, and the White Sox are capable of being up there in that conversation, and they need to play better. They get Lucas Giolito back on the mound. Dylan Cease, who um, I got correct in trivia, will be as, as one, of their, one of their good pitchers. So um, it's time for them to turn it around. The Twins are leading the AL Central. It's time for the White Sox to be as good as we know they can be. And going into Yankee Stadium will certainly be a big matchup there. Next up for you, Dodgers at the Phillies. Tune into that one. We just saw the Phillies go to Dodger Stadium, win three of four. So 
I was a believer in this Phillies team. They haven't been great this far. Are they turning it around? Well, another series against a really good Dodgers team will let you know that. And it'll go a long way to showing us, hey, are the Phillies for real? Last but not least, Padres at the Giants. Two NL West juggernauts right now. Padres are playing great. The Giants continue to be a really good team. So uh, most all of the good, all the top NL West teams are are a part of this this weekend and playing in a good series. Padres at Giants. This is a big test for the Padres. They appear to be really good. Bob Melvin making a big difference there. Now they go on the road to the Giants. Make sure you check out that series. Producer Conrad, where are we going next? Is it team of the week time? Almost. One last thing. Pick to click. Two and three now. Two and three. Cedric Mullins didn't come through with the home run. See, so here was my pick to click last week. Cedric Mullins would get a stolen base and a home run within the week. He got the stolen base early, and I think that this should be null and void because he didn't play in the last game of the week that could matter. He got a rest day, and then he pinch hit and hit a fly ball deep to the warning track. So... I don't know. I feel like if if I were counting, I would give it to myself, but apparently no. Um, I was the home run away from Cedric Mullins uh, being correct in the pick-to-click. This week, we're 2-3. and We've been trading off every week. I've gone wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong, and now we're going to go right. Robbie Ray gets a win on the mound and has an an ERA under 3.3. He will probably get two starts on the week this year. Robbie Ray, Cy Young winner last year. Friend of the pod last year as well. And he hasn't been great to start the year for the Mariners. Things out in Seattle haven't been great thus far. But I think things start to click. I think he is my pick to click. Things start to click and he will prove me right in this week's pick to click. So he gets a win on the mound and has an ERA under 3.30 in his one or most likely two starts on the week. But... Let's see if I get that one right. Now it is time for one of my favorite segments on this Thursday show. It is time for Team of the Week, where I go around the league and pick a a player from every single position, and we plug them in, and they are on my Team of the Week. Let's start with my catcher. For the first time this year, Gary Sanchez is my catcher on my Team of the Week. He killed it. And I actually really like this move for Gary Sanchez going to Minnesota, kind of all eyes off of him in the, you know, in New York City. And it got got to be a tough place for him. Now he's in Minnesota. And this, he was thriving. 348, three homers, eight RBIs. Gary Sanchez, team of the week, my catcher. Over to first base, we have Yuli Gurriel. Last year, batting title in the American League. This year, getting off to a really slow start. Now he's turned it around. 435 on the week, three homers, seven RBIs. Yuli is back, and he is on my team of the week at first base. Let's move on over to second base. We have Brendan Rodgers of the Colorado Rockies. That's right, Brendan Rodgers, 423 on the week, 11 knocks, eight RBIs. What a week. 11 knocks on a week is is impressive. You have 423 on a week, you're going to have a good chance of being here, especially at second base. Nobody, you know, well, there's been there's a lot more good talent here at second base this year. Let's move on over to third base. 
Third base, we have Rafael Devers, 480 on the week, a 1.500 OPS, two homers. I mean, Rafi Devers, the baby face himself, is absolutely raking. He's my third baseman on the team of the week. Let's head on over to the shortstop position. Royce Lewis. That's right. Royce Lewis, friend of the podcast, actually. Last year, one of the first guys on the show, top prospect for the Twins, steps in for Carlos Correa, hits 318 on the week, two homers, five RBIs, and his first big league action ever, ever, comes up. Think about it. Steps in for Carlos Correa, also a friend of the podcast, by the way, first guest on, on the, uh, season two of Flippin' Bats. Steps in for him while he's on the IL. And in his big league debut, in his first few games, has two homers, five RBIs, 318 batting average, played great defense. Congratulations to Royce Lewis on having the debut that he did. He is now sent back down to the minor leagues now that Correa is back off the IL, but... What an impression he left, and in his one, and his basically one week in the big leagues, he found his way on to my team of the week at shortstop. Let's head on over to the outfield. First up, Giancarlo Stanton of the New York Yankees. 417, three homers, 10 RBIs. I mean, when Stanton gets hot, who's hotter? Seriously. When Giancarlo Stanton gets hot, there is nobody hotter on the planet. I was watching. He actually hit a home run today as we were, you know, we're recording on a Thursday. So that doesn't even count in his home run stats because these stats are from the last seven days. But he just hit another one. He's so hot. Nobody hits home runs to left field at Camden Yards this year. He hit it way out today. But he's on my team of the week. Let's head on over to the next outfielder, Taylor Ward, again. On this list, Taylor Ward is incredible. I love what he's able to do. I love what he's doing this year. 400 on the week. Another two homers. Six more RBIs. Taylor Ward has been the key. I don't want to say the key, but the Angels have been successful this year, and what Taylor Ward has been doing is a huge part of that. Um, He hits 400 on the week, and his batting average doesn't even really go up that much. That's how good he has been. He's hitting over 370 on the year and had another great week, and that's why he is here. My final outfielder, another New York Yankee, Aaron Judge. Just pay the man. He deserves all the money, and just pay him. 391 on the week, four homers, eight RBIs. He is so locked in. Both of those Yankee outfielders are Stanton and Aaron Judge. Their lineup is scary. Absolutely scary. And he is my last outfielder on the team of the week. All right, let's head on to the DH. We will do DH. Another Red Sox, J.D. Martinez. J.D. was really good this week. 391, four homers, eight RBIs. 435, two homers, 10 knocks on the week. And he's also the epitome, like... The DH slot can be tough on Team of the Week because, you know, especially now with a universal DH, but JD is like the epitome of a DH. He's only DHing, it feels like. So, 435. What a week for JD. Let's head on over and do the pitcher. This week's pitcher, another Boston Red Sox, Nick Pavetta, 2 0 on the week, 16 innings, 12 Ks, 
Only two earned runs in those 16 innings. Through a complete game against the Houston Astros. Pitches, and I actually watched this, and Jose Altuve led off the game along at bat, double-digit pitches, and then it resulted in a home run. So immediately, you've thrown over 10 pitches to start the game and given up a run, and then he settles in and throws a complete game with only one run given up. He was phenomenal this week and found his way as, as the one pitcher, the one starting pitcher on the team of the week. And last but certainly not least, the closer for my team of the week, David Bednar of the Pittsburgh Pirates. When you think closer, he's not a guy's name that you hear mentioned super often because he's on the Pirates and they're not winning a ton of games. But when he's come in this year, he's been nails. Four saves on the week, six and a third innings pitch, six Ks and zero earned runs. What a team. A pretty dominant team this week. Team of the week that rounds it out. And uh, yeah, let's stay tuned for next week. This is always a fun segment. It's a fun way to highlight players that might not always get talked about. And, and certainly this week, there are plenty of players that we wouldn't be able to highlight super often normally, but they found their way on my team of the week. So congrats to all of these guys. Now let's head on over back here and we're going to wrap up with some fan questions, producer Conrad. Yes, sir. Fan questions always end the show on Thursday. Thursday show, fan questions. That's why I, I love this show. It, it allows people to be involved. If they want to be, get your questions in, and we will answer them right here. And first up comes from Nick. Why do the baseball gods hate the Tigers? One, the baseball gods are real. We've had that. We did a segment on that earlier this year. So one, just stop jinxing no hitters because they're listening. And two, you're right. The Tigers... Um, have been bit by the injury bug a good bit this year. Look at the starting rotation. Casey Mize, injured. Matt Manning, injured. Spencer Turnbull, who hasn't pitched this year because he had TJ, injured. Just the other day, Eduardo Rodriguez, injured. I mean, it's ridiculous what is happening in Detroit. But I, I will say this. This is important to note. I, I'm disappointed in, in the start to the season for the Tigers, and it can't all be blamed on injuries. Yes, the injuries have been awful, and that is just bad luck, and you, you hate to see that. But it has been disappointing everybody else, and, and to see where the Tigers are at this point, I was a big believer. It really sucked that Riley Green wasn't able to break camp with the team because of his injury, because that just would have brought a different feel, a different energy to the team, I believe, if he was also able to break camp, but he didn't. He got hurt. It has been disappointing for the Tigers, and you're right. The injuries... Um, I, I don't know what's going on there. I, I wish it would. It needs to stop. Thank you for that question. Absolutely. Next question we have at Ben Verlander. What is the deepest rotation in Major League Baseball? I think this one has to have a caveat on it, though. What is that caveat? The caveat is if injured or not, because I think the Mets would have to have, right? Yeah. I mean, so coming into the year, you probably wouldn't answer them as deepest. You think DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett. And then it's like, okay, there's some question marks. But Tyler McGill, um, he's been really good. Carrasco? So, Carrasco has shown flashes of being really good. So I'm going to answer this right now. What rotation is the deepest right now? Um, and I'm going to take the Mets out of that because, obviously, there's, there's a lot of injuries involved there. So this is a good question. Um, I'm going to say what comes to mind for me See, the Dodgers come to mind, but since this is right now, Kershaw's out, 
So that's what I, I'm going to say Brewers. I'm going to say the Brew Crew. Um, Corbin Burns, disgusting. Brandon Woodruff, I mean, he's really good and hasn't been as good as he can be this year. Freddie Peralta coming off some dominant starts. And then you look at the – you have other guys in that rotation. Lauer's been really good. I mean, Ashby, they, they have names – beyond just those big three. But those big three can carry a rotation. If you have three guys in a rotation that are capable of being aces anywhere, that's a good start. And the Brewers still have those guys, and they're all healthy right now, thankfully. So that's what I'm going to say, the Brew Crew. Yeah, I think coming from a Yankees fan, I think he might have been kind of looking like, hey, Nestor Cortez is real, Garrett Cole is back. You're getting kind of really good Luis Severino. Nestor, Nestor's great. Garrett Cole is good. But I would not put the Yankees in the conversation yet for deepest rotation. I mean, the fact that they're getting what they are getting from Nestor Cortez is incredible. And everybody's love. I mean, you should love what you're getting from Nasty Nestor. He's going out there throwing low 90s from 18 different arm angles. And uh, the Yankees needed that. I wouldn't say rotational depth was a strong suit for the, for the Yankees this year. They have needed what Nestor Cortez is bringing. But, and it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yes, it has. Next up, again, from the Yankees news, which team has the best bench depth in Major League Baseball? Oh, the best bench depth in Major League Baseball. How do you not take the Dodgers here? I mean, it just seems like every night they have guys that, okay, let's see, so-and-so has to sit. Um, Justin Turner's not going to play tonight. Okay, Edwin Rios is going to come in and hit a bomb. Okay, um, Chris Taylor is not going to play. Okay, you know, he's not going to play at second base. Okay, Gavin Lux will come in and play. Like these guys, the Dodgers have guys on their bench that are capable of being big league starters anywhere else. And and they've been doing that for a few years now. So um, best bench depth, I will take the Dodgers. All right, up next from David. Why are the Jays struggling so much offensively? Oh, good question. Um, I, I think the Blue Jays have uh, potentially the best offense in, in baseball. Cert, you know, especially it, it's up there in the American League. Um, hitting is contagious, and that's a term that you hear often, but it's it it's really true, and you see it all the time when a team gets hot, they all get hot. When a player, when you see it in an inning, when a when a when hits start snowballing, they continue. That's the same in reverse, except it can be worse. When a team starts slumping, when, a, when players start slumping and you go three up, three down, and then it just continues and continues, that can snowball. So hitting is contagious in both directions, and I think that's what we're seeing right now with this Blue Jays team. And I say it's worse in the negative direction because of how, how important the mentality is for baseball how important the mental game is in baseball. When you struggle, it can be a lonely, deep, dark hole to get yourself out of. And now this lineup has a bunch of guys that are struggling. They're just not stringing hits together. They have guys that are capable of winning MVP awards that aren't stringing those hits together. So you are right. The Blue Jays' offense is struggling. And if they want to be good, if they want to make the playoffs, the offense has to pick it up. And I truly wholeheartedly believe it will and when it does it will be scary because of that snowball effect and all of the guys in that lineup that are capable of piling on top of each other feeding off of each other and propelling each other to scoring a bunch of runs 
Absolutely. I just got done watching them play a three-game series against the Mariners. It's one of those things. They have so many great bats in the lineup, but none of them are really all clicking right now. A little bit of them is that each time, like Bo will have a good game, Vlad will have a good game, but we haven't seen the full package come together. Last question we have is coming from James, something we actually talked about a little bit earlier. What is the type of Juan Soto trade package you would expect in the Nats traded him? Oh, good question. If I had to put together the most likely scenario, uh, if I just had to pull this out of nowhere, because this really is unprecedented. We haven't seen this before. We haven't seen a player that is 23 years old and not even hitting his prime yet is already considered by many to be the best hitter in the game of baseball, and he could potentially be traded? So what does that trade package look like? Well, we don't know because it's never happened. But if I had to predict, I would say it looks something like what the Padres could give. The most likely scenario, I think, would be a Padres deal where they give up uh, Mackenzie Gore, who's a top prospect pitcher who's already shown that he can be really good and pitch well at the big league level. C.J. Abrams, who is a top prospect at shortstop, who's already playing at shortstop this year for the Padres with Tatis down. I say that as well because Tatis is their shortstop. He's the shortstop of the future there. So what do you do with a guy? He's a top prospect at shortstop. Well, can we use him to get Juan Soto? So it's going to take two top prospects at least, probably more. Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, and probably a big league talent as well. Probably a guy that's already in the big leagues, already a good player for them. I don't know who that's going to be. But it's going, to take, it's going to take a lot. And I think the Padres have what it takes to do it and are ready to win. I truly believe that they are ready to win. And imagine this. Think of this. We haven't even talked about this. You make a trade for Juan Soto around July. You know who also comes back in July? Fernando Tatis. Imagine getting Fernando Tatis and Juan Soto on your team at the same time when you're already leading and at the top of the NL West. That'd be pretty cool. It really would be cool. But whatever you think is going to get traded for Juan Soto, double it and then add a half a billion dollars. Yeah, it'd probably be, yeah. yeah. Fernando Tatis and straight up for for Juan Soto, as well as all the money. Like, how wild would that be? We've just never seen it before. So, I mean, it's a situation where anytime, any trade rumor that I've seen that what they could trade for, in my mind, it's like double it, add half a million, and you might get them. Imagine if, this, this is going off the rails, but imagine if there's a world where the Padres say the injuries have been too much with Tatis, We're paying him a ton of money. He goes out, he rides his motorcycle, and he gets hurt, and he can't even play on our team. Imagine. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine what that would look like. (laughs) I mean, all of it would have to be unprecedented, like never, never before seen in, in Major League Baseball history. And again, time and time again, we've seen these trades happen in Major League Baseball where they're blockbusters. But it's only the team that's receiving the blockbuster talent is the one that's actually working long term. We went through at least, what, 12 to 15 trades earlier that have happened in the middle of the season. We're like, oh, you got prime CC Sabathia. Who did you get back in, in return? Basically nobody. Michael Brantley. You can't, you can't basically nobody there. Michael Brantley is a, a big league all-star. And you look at it, you're, you're right. But then you look at, okay, um, what, you know, what happened with the, the Cubs and the Yankees with Aroldis that whole Chapman. situation? Aroldis Chapman goes to the Cubs, wins them a World Series, and then, you know, th- that one tended to work out well for both sides, but there's not many examples 
of the big time stud going. And a big reason for that is because we see that at 27, 28 years old. Juan Soto is 23 years old. He hasn't even scratched the surface, I don't think, of what he can be. So that's why this is so unprecedented. We're not talking about a guy that's best in the business and already and hopefully can make a, a big difference and then you lock him up and he's going to, you know, in, in eight years regress. No, in eight years, Juan Soto is going to be 30 years old, 31 years old. That's why this is different. That's why this is unprecedented. Great, great question there, James. It led to a fun conversation. All of you, thank you for getting those questions in. I love doing this. I love doing this Thursday show. It's fun. It's interactive. And that's a big part of this show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you're subscribed, follow wherever you listen to podcasts, at Flippin' Bats Pod on all social medias as well. If you're listening, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever it may be, rate it five stars as well. That stuff really helps, and it'd be greatly appreciated. Follow along on socials, Flippin' Bats Pod, Twitter, Instagram. You can watch every episode, the video of it, on YouTube, Flippin' Bats Pod as well. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys for joining, and I will see you Monday. Peace.